Several years ago, the BBC ran a story with this headline, Priests Browl in Bethlehem's Church of the Nativity. Fights broke out between rival groups of Greek Orthodox and Armenian clerics in a turf war over control of the church built on the spot where many Christians believe Jesus was born. The article described bemused tourists looking on as about 100 priests fought with brooms (laughs) while cleaning the church in preparation for Christmas. The chief of police in Bethlehem reported, quote, it was a trivial problem that occurs every year. (laughs) No one was arrested because all those involved were men of God. (laughs) This 1,700-year-old church, one of the holiest sites in Christianity, is in bad state of repair, largely because the priests cannot agree on who should pay for its upkeep. The article ended with these very sad words, quote, Jerusalem's holy sepulcher, built on the site where many Christians believe Jesus' body was taken after the crucifixion, has also seen similar incidents. So here's a question. If priests who serve in the place where peace was proclaimed by the angels and priests at the site where Jesus was buried can't get along. Is it any wonder we often go to war with fellow image bearers? According to the 2022 Global Peace Index, the average level of global peacefulness has deteriorated for nine of the past 13 years. And in 2020, Worldwide prevalence of anxiety and depression increased by a massive 25%. Well, let me point out this black line there are teenagers. The blue line, young adults. And if we could talk, if we take the time to talk to people right here in this room or engaging online, there are many today who would say, my anxiety is through the roof. There are many today who would say, I just feel flat, I feel depressed, I don't know how to get out of that. And coupled with a news cycle that's dominated by ceaseless reports of bad news and a nation hopelessly divided, we shouldn't be surprised we're all dealing with an increasing amount of crippling anxiety. Political debate has become a blood sport, leaving many of us feeling fractured, frustrated, and frightened. Just this week, I glanced at headlines on kwqc.com. There were shootings in both Rock Island and Davenport that were fatalities. There was a lockdown at the Hy-Vee right up the street. A 15-year-old girl was stabbed. And juveniles were arrested for stealing guns. A young teacher at Francis Willard Elementary School died Thursday night. And I want to take some time now to pray for her husband, Dylan, and their children, Easton and Archer. God, as we contemplate this topic of peace, Lord, we know that many today don't have peace and are filled with anxiety and hurt and pain and grief that doesn't seem to stop. Though we pray that you'd come alongside Dylan, Easton, and Archer as they grieve. Lord, thank you for how the community is embracing uh, this young family. Lord, as we look now to your living and active word, help us to be able to understand it correctly as, as, we, uh, as we look at 
words that were written 700 years before Jesus. Lord, may our uh, study today lead to worship. Lord, may you be honored and glorified as our creator, as our redeemer. And Lord, may you move within us that we might become a people of peace, that we might take the message of peace to those around us. So we commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, all of what I've described and more leaves us feeling stressed out, maxed out, and burned out. One pastor said it like this, in a culture and time such as ours, true peace feels like it might be on the endangered species list. And I enjoyed the song the choir sang this morning called Glory. Because it conveys the message that peace must start within me. We're singing glory, glory, let there be peace, let there be peace. Singing glory, glory, let there be peace. Let it start in me. We're continuing in our series that we're calling The Promise as we've been looking at promises from the prophet Isaiah and then we're tracing their fulfillment to and through the characters of Christmas. Christmas can be summarized with four words, promises made and promises kept. A promise is an assurance that certain things will come to pass. Are you aware that there are more than 300 prophetic promises fulfilled with pinpoint precision by the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? In addition, we celebrated this truth at our prophecy conference that there are scores of additional promises and prophecies that will be fulfilled at his second coming. Christmas has its roots in the Old Testament. And here are just seven of those promises ranging from Moses to Malachi. The Messiah will come from the tribe of Judah. The Messiah will be presented with gifts from foreign leaders who fall before him. The Messiah will be born of a virgin. The Messiah will minister in Galilee. That was our topic last weekend. The Messiah will be a descendant of Jesse. The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah will be preceded by a messenger. Well, last week we considered Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 2, and we discovered this truth. No matter what happens or is happening right now, Hold on to hope. Well, let's return to this chapter today, and we're going to see how the promise of peace was foretold and then fulfilled in Luke chapter 2. Our main idea is this. The only way to have peace is to give glory to God and to know the Prince of Peace. Open up your Bible to Isaiah chapter 9. If you don't have your Bible, there's one in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that as our gift. Verse 4, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. So when the light of life comes, this heavy yoke described in Isaiah 9 will be lifted. Words of Jesus, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the place of burdens, God wants to give us blessings. I talked to someone recently who told me her shoulders are heavy. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, I'm carrying so many burdens. I smiled and reminded her that Jesus came to bear our burdens, and he, right now, is holding up the entire world. Drop down to verse 6. Familiar words. Perhaps you've heard these words in a song. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Verse 6 sets forth the indescribable uniqueness of Jesus. Oh, would you observe both the humanity and the deity are on full display. Consider first the humanity, for to us a child is born. That describes the birth of Jesus as a baby. But also notice deity, to us a son is given. Jesus is God's eternal son given as a gift to us. We could say it like this. The child was birthed in Bethlehem and the eternal son was given to us as a gift. One commentator noted the son wasn't born. The son eternally existed. The child was born. The son was given. They're both true, aren't they? The son is given. The child is born. Charles Spurgeon went deep when he preached these words. He is as truly born as certainly a child as any other man that ever lived upon the face of the earth. He is thus in his humanity a child born. But as Jesus Christ is God's son, he is not born but given, begotten of the father from before all worlds not made. On top of that, we read, the government shall be upon his shoulder. Oh, I hope you've come prepared to worship today. Consider this. All the expectations of the throne of King David are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The baby bundled in the straw holds the universe together. The one nestled on Mary's shoulders bears everything on his shoulders. He is redeemer and ruler of all. This past Monday and Tuesday night were the ladies' Christmas parties, and I put an apron on, and, well, I acted like I was serving. Actually, I just went around and talked to people. You can see here, it looks like my eyes are closed. I'm actually praying for a couple ladies here. I appreciated, at the end, Sheila Kershak gave a message, and she emphasized that during this time of the year, let's recapture the wonder and the awe of Christmas. I was chatting with someone before the service. It doesn't it feel like this year you have to fight for that even? You have to go after it because so much is happening around us and within us, so we have to work hard at recapturing that. You know, I wonder if part of the reason we've been inoculated by the incarnation and even bored with the baby is because we just focus on the infant Jesus. Oh, note the phrase, his name shall be called. That means he will justly bear this name. It's a fourfold name. For the sake of time, I'll list just the first three quickly, and then we're going to linger on the last description. He is profound. He is the wonderful counselor. He is powerful. He's the mighty God. He is personal. He's the everlasting father. He lives forever, and he loves like a father. Christ is holy and human, dwelling on high while lying in the hay. And number four, he is peaceful. He is the prince of peace. Now that can be translated the prince whose coming brings peace. A prince in Bible times was the general of the army. It describes leadership and authority. I appreciate how the Bible project explains the intricacies of biblical peace. Uh, check out this video now. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete 
or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. And his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, My peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work, because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. If you want to watch that again or share it with someone, there's a link on our Sermon Extras tab on our website or app. The only way to have peace is to give glory to God and to know the Prince of Peace. Jesus came in the cradle in order to go to the cross to purchase our peace. And when he comes again, he'll be wearing a crown and he will usher in his reign of peace. Drop down one verse in Isaiah chapter 9 to verse 7 of the increase of his government and of, here's the word, and of peace. There will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Luke chapter 1 verse 23 picks up on this prophecy. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I love that last phrase of verse 7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The word zeal means intense desire. Isaiah fifty nine seventeen says God has wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. God is zealous to see his plan of redemption accomplished in your life today. Now, let's go back and let's think about that phrase, Lord 
of hosts. That can be translated as Lord of armies. God has at least three kinds of armies at his disposal. Well, let's consider first national armies. Consider the Babylonians who God used to accomplish his purposes. God also enlists the stars of creation to do his bidding, and he drafts the angelic hosts to do his work. He unleashes all of his passionate zeal and all of his resources to bring about all of his purposes. Now, consider this. God used all three of these armies to activate his plan that first Christmas. Oh, worship with me as we see this. Number one, he mobilized the Roman government to call for a census so Jesus could be birthed in Bethlehem. So they were up in Nazareth, Joseph and Mary. Bethlehem's 95 miles away. How to get Jesus from there down to here so he could be born in Bethlehem, thus fulfilling a prophecy found in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. God used a government to call for that census. Secondly, he caused the star in heaven to burn bright enough to get the attention of astrologists living hundreds of miles away in another country. And he unleashed an army of angels, the heavenly host, to announce the good news of glory to God and peace to people as a result of the Savior's birth. Now, with all of that as the promise, let's go to Luke chapter 2 as we see the fulfillment. Luke chapter 2. After one angel appeared to the shepherds, announcing good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Well, let's actually, let me have you listen as I read verse 10. And the angel said to them, notice it's one angel, said to them, fear not. (laughs) Why do you have to tell them to fear not? Well, because they were scared. They're just out. It's nighttime. They're simple shepherds. And an angel appears. They're afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Drop down to verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel, so with the one angel, a multitude of the heavenly host. And what were they doing? They were praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, angels do sing in other instances, but would you observe here it says they say these words of worship. That word suddenly means the heavenly host came unexpectedly, busting out into praise, shouting into the stillness and silence of the previous 400 years. You know, since the end of the Old Testament, book of Malachi, until an angel appeared to Zechariah, there were 400 years of silence. No prophets, no kings, no voice from the heavens. Four centuries of quiet stillness. And people, I'm sure, were discouraged. They'd live and they'd die and they'd hear nothing from God until... A whole company of angels breaks out. It's as if one angel announcing the news was no longer enough. The sky is suddenly filled with a multitude of messengers, a great arsenal of angelic warriors, perhaps more than 100,000 worshiping with the widest and deepest and highest praise possible. They couldn't help but praise because Savior Christ Lord had been born. In 1 Peter 1, verse 12, it tells us that angels long to look into redemption. The angels are peering into redemption. These angels have been waiting a long time for the birth of the baby, and now they explode with adoration. 
This doxology was God-centered and glory-focused. Can you imagine how loud this must have been? Now, the promise from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, of the coming of the Prince of Peace reverberated across seven centuries. Isaiah was written 700 years before the birth of Christ. That promise echoed through the hallways of heaven and finally culminated in an expression of angelic adoration. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now let's look at two aspects of this birth announcement given to a group of simple shepherds. First, glory to God. In the first stanza, the multitude of the heavenly host praise God and they say, glory to God in the highest. The original meaning of glory is the idea of weightiness. God's glory is the sum total of the weightiness of all of his attributes. It includes his splendor, his brightness, his shining, his radiance, his brilliance, his status, his praise, his honor, his wonder, his supernatural power, all on full display. It has to do with the fame of God's glorious name and the heaviness of his holiness. Oh, there's more. Would you observe this is all in the superlative? Glory to God in the highest. And so the original meaning of glory is the idea of weightiness, and here it's in the highest It refers to the loftiest and most elevated. God is at the highest, the peak, the summit. He's the most beautiful, the brightest, the most brilliant. There's no one higher and there is nothing greater. Among the Jews, the name they would use for God to communicate this is Elion, the highest, the main name for God. And so what are the angels doing? They are publicly acknowledging the weight of God's glory in an act of worship. And the shepherds get the joy of joining them in praise. The first part of the story is all about God's glory. The second part is all about the peace he extends to those with whom he is pleased. Notice then, peace to people. The adoration of the angels led them to declare a proclamation of peace. And we see that in the second stanza of verse 14. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's possible, we don't know for sure. Maybe these worshiping warriors divided into an antiphonal choir where one side sang, glory to God in the highest, and the other, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Man, I think you love the choir today. Next weekend, I hope you're able to come because we're going to have like 80 children up on the platform singing praises to God. One Greek scholar renders it like this, peace among those who are recipients of God's good pleasure. Bruce Larson, if you are able to receive what God wants to give, the message of peace is for you. In the midst of your anxiety and feeling low, that message of peace is for you. It all starts in heaven with God's perfect plan and it arrives on earth where peace comes to those who personalize the message. It's available to all but activated only for those who accept Emmanuel, for those who repent, for those who believe and receive. Would you note that peace comes only after praising? You see, we must put God in his glory first And then peace will come. We must keep together what the angels kept together. Glory to God and peace to people. A heart bent on showing and sharing the glory of God will know and grow in the peace of God. 
Now, why is this so important? Well, because a lot of times people are just pursuing peace and it's elusive. But listen to how one pastor words it. He says it much better than I can. If you say, I don't have any interest in the glory of God, I just want the peace, well, then you won't get it. You cannot separate the two. The angels won't let you. God won't let you. God's purpose is to give you peace by being the most glorious person in your life. If we want peace to rule in our lives, God must rule in our lives. A heart bent on showing the glory of God will know the peace of God. Now, this is a sentimental time of the year, but... There's really nothing special about this season unless one knows the Christ of Christmas. That phrase, happy holidays, is, well, it's meaningless without an acknowledgement of the holiness of God. You see, the precondition for peace is to first praise God for his glory and his grace. The word peace in the New Testament means to join together, to set at one again. It has the idea of gluing something back together. It's used in at least four ways, peace with God, the peace of God, peace with others, and peace for others. The only way to have peace is to first give glory to God and to know the Prince of Peace. And before we can be at peace with God, we have to realize and come to grips with how ruptured our relationship with God is apart from Christ. Certainly, God loves us. He cherishes us. We've been made in his image. We matter to him. But because of our incessant sinfulness, the Bible says that God is filled with indignation about that sin. Romans 1, verse 18, the wrath, oh, we don't talk much about this today, do we? But the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. In his classic book, it's hard to believe this book has been out now for 50 years, written by Billy Graham called Peace with God, he writes these words, the greatest warfare going on in the world today is between mankind and God. People may not realize that they are at war with God, but if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, God considers them to be at war with him. No, but I can't wait to share the good news. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have, here it is, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, you and I can now be at peace with God. God the Father poured out the wrath, the fury, the indignation on his Son instead of on us, who died in our place as our sin substitute and rose again from the dead. Emmanuel is our intermediary. Ephesians 2 says he himself is our peace. Colossians 1.20, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Friends, peace only sounds wonderful when you know you've been at war. The good news of the gospel is only good news when you first recognize the bad news, that you're a sinner, that I'm a sinner, and that we're at war. It's a radical thought that God's anger is satisfied because of the sacrifice of his son. It's all absorbed by the death of Jesus. The curse of sin is reversed by the Savior. Propitiation brings peace. And once we are justified by faith, peace is a primary reality for the believer. We can face a holy God because now, well, now we've been glued to him by the finished and final work of Christ on the cross. Is that not good news, church? 
You see, no matter how far away you are, and some of you feel very far away, and maybe you feel like you've been DQ'd because of what you've done, how you've been living, let the truth of Isaiah 57, 19 wash over you. Peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. Well, let's consider next the peace of God. If you and I want to have the peace of God internally, we must first experience peace with God vertically. The upward dimension must be taken care of before inward peace can permeate our lives. I could say it like this, only those at peace with God can experience the peace of God. Shortly before Jesus died, he declared in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The inner peace is a gift from Jesus and it's a key element of the fruit of the Spirit. You and I will experience this peace in proportion to the room we give the Holy Spirit in our lives. I talked to someone recently who told me how God had given her peace in the midst of a very difficult situation. She described the peace as surprising, and then she was trying to define it, and she couldn't do it. She was searching for words, and I said, well, that's the peace that's promised in Philippians 4, 7, the peace that surpasses all understanding. So when we're at peace with God, we can have internal peace, and then we can be at peace with others. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it like this, the followers of Jesus have been called to peace. When he called them, they found their peace, for he is their peace. But now they are told that they must not only have peace, but make it. Jesus said these words, Matthew 5, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. It's interesting, Jesus didn't call us to be peacekeepers. He called us to be peacemakers. That can be translated as peace workers. Well, you know, if you've ever been in conflict with someone and you want to do all you can to make it right, it's work. Your heart races. You're like, this takes a lot. There might be more conflict while you're talking. It takes effort to bring conflict to an end. It takes humility. When we work at resolving conflict, we're doing what God does. We're called to make peace when we're involved in conflict. Romans 14, 19 lays out our responsibility. Let us therefore make every effort, that's the work part, which leads to peace and mutual edification. Whenever I read the story of the shepherds, I think of Linus reading this story, Luke chapter 2, on Charlie Brown's Christmas. And that reminds me of a discussion that Lucy and Charlie Brown had one day. It goes like this. Lucy said, Charlie Brown, since it's Christmas, I suggest we lay aside all of our differences and let's be friends for this season of the year. Well, Charlie Brown liked that, so he smiled and he responded eagerly. That's a great idea, Lucy. But why does it have to be just at this time of the year? Why can't we be friends all year long? Exasperated, Lucy looked at him and said, What are you, a fanatic or something? (laughs) You know, within a country and a community filled with chaos, and conflict? Are you willing to be a peace fanatic? You see, that's what it'll take. It'll take us going after peace because we're at war with so many people. Are you planting peace in others? Or are you sowing seeds of strife? Oh, would we determine to be a planter of peace and not a sower of strife? Is there anyone you need to make things right with? Anyone you need to be at one with? That person may be sitting next to you. 
Do you need to forgive or ask for forgiveness? Some of you are dreading Christmas because you're in conflict with someone in your family. Maybe that conflict has now led to bitterness, and like a root, it's gone deep down into your life, and it's now defiling not only yourself, but others. Friends, it's time to let it go. It's time to do the work of peacemaking. Well, there's a fourth element, and that's peace for others. The only way for people to have peace with God, for them to have peace inside and to be at peace with others is for people like us who know Jesus to tell them about the gospel of peace. Peter summarizes the essence of the incarnation, Acts 10.36. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. I read something yesterday. It goes like this. Pandemics and politics are the devil's playground, dividing churches and distracting them from their mission of exalting Christ among the nations. Meanwhile, 183,671 people die every day. 47,754 of whom perish without ever meeting a Christian or hearing the gospel. You know, just as the shepherds hurried off to tell the good news, so too you and I must share peace with others because this news of great joy is for all the people. And that's why we partner with missionaries like our members, Aaron and Amanda Langworthy, who are headed to Uganda to work with the Oringa people. That's Uganda's last known unreached people group. You know, the only way to have peace is to give glory to God and to know the Prince of Peace. Let me suggest some ways that you and I can get this message out. First of all, I want to encourage each of us to invite three people to one of our three Christmas Eve services. Uh, Many people are looking for a church to attend, and they don't know where to go. I came across this stat from Lifeway. If someone you know, this is for people who don't go to church, if someone you know invited you to attend church with them at Christmas time, how likely would you be to attend? 57% said, I'd likely go if I was invited. We have extra invites out in both lobbies. I encourage you to take three or four of these, and once you have them, you'll look for ways to pass them out to people. I have a number of these in my car. On Thursday night, I invited a waitress to come. She seemed interested, even wrote it down on a, on a pad. I invited a guy on Friday, and yesterday I had an opportunity to invite two more people. Another simple way, if you're on Facebook, when you see the invite for one of our three services come up, simply share that or say that you're coming. When you do that, that goes to your wall and goes out exponentially. Are you out of sorts with God today? Oh, would you repent? Like not tomorrow, but today. Not later, but right now. And receive the Prince of Peace in your life and be made right with God immediately. Are you all shaken up on the inside? Would you give your anxiety to the Almighty and ask for his unexplained peace to come and give you calm in the midst of your chaos? Are your relationships ruptured? Some of them just blown up. Oh, would you determine by God's grace to do the hard work of being a peacemaker and then go and spread this message of peace to others? Something I discovered this week that I had not seen before. Let's go back and consider the first three words of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Fast forward 700 years, for unto 
you is born this day. Isaiah 9, plural, for to us, Luke 2, 11, personal, for on to you. See, it's one thing to say Christ died for the sins of the whole world. It's another thing to say he died for me. Jesus was born to the whole world, but he was also born unto you. Christmas is his story, but it must become your story. Luke 2.11, for unto you is born, that's personal, this day, that means right now, don't hesitate or procrastinate, in the city of David, fulfilling prophecy, a Savior, one who forgives sins, who is Christ the Lord, the long-awaited Messiah, who is master and leader. Three questions. Is he Savior to you? Is he your Savior? Is he Christ to you? And are you living under his lordship? Have you surrendered everything to him? The mighty choir of heaven is proclaiming unto you the glory of God wrapped up in the gift of his son for you because God gets the glory when people are at peace. And if you've not done so yet, will you receive the gift of salvation? Luke 2.16 says the shepherds went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. The shepherds ran to find the Prince of Peace. Will you run? Will you repent? Will you receive the Savior who was born unto you? Ten years ago, Beth and I had the privilege of taking a trip to Israel Uh, Edgewood took a trip last year and another trip is going this year in June and I checked with Jared there are still two or three spots available but you need to act quickly I loved a lot of that trip it was man it was so humbling it was beautiful I have images in my mind decisions and prayers that we prayed while we were there one of the highlights for me was preaching at a baptist church in the town of bethlehem that was so humbling i was so nervous i was so scared to be able to preach at the place where jesus was born but one of the low lights of that entire time in Israel also happened in Bethlehem when we toured the church of the nativity. I I didn't like all the commercialism. I didn't like all the relics, all the images, all the ritualism and how people appeared to be worshiping a place instead of the Prince of Peace. This week, I saw a review on TripAdvisor, (laughs) which made this claim about going to this church, quote, get peace by kissing the birthplace. Friends, peace doesn't come from a place. It only comes from a relationship with the prince of peace. It made me want to look for a broom so I could chase people out of there. Now, I didn't see people whacking each other over the head, but I did experience something that really impacted me. So there's this courtyard outside the church, and then as you come to the church across this large plaza, there's a door which is so small, you have to duck down to get inside. Well, you see, it's rectangular in shape. It's only about five feet high. It's called the door of humility. If you look closely, you can see how big it used to be. See the arch up there? That was the entrance, and so they made a small door. They did that deliberately because several centuries ago, men would be on their horses and ride right into the sanctuary. The caretakers were having none of that. They felt that that was highly inappropriate, so they lowered the entrance. So proud people had to dismount before coming into the church. Listen, if you want to go to heaven, you got to get off your high horse. No, I'm serious. 
Some of us think we're all that. We're doing fine without God. We're just going through life, kind of making our decisions, spending our money, doing, spending our time. We think it's all about us. Listen, it's not about you. And if you want to know the Prince of Peace, you're going to have to bow before him. You're going to have to humble yourself before him. If you want to experience peace, you must get rid of your pride. Give glory to God. Bow before his holiness and his supremacy. Fall on your face before a holy and righteous and mighty God. And then you'll receive peace as you commit yourself to Jesus Christ and ask him to save you. The only way to have peace is to give glory to God and know the Prince of Peace. And check out these words that we hear and even sing this time of year, O little town of Bethlehem. But maybe hear these words a little differently. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord, Emmanuel. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for the reminder today. Thank you for the confidence that this gives us, that your promise that was made has been kept. Lord, so fill us with hearts of worship. Help us to marvel at what you've done, more than that, who you are. Lord, for that individual, either engaging online or right here in this room, who does not know you yet, may they cry out to you and admit and confess their sinfulness and say something like this, God, I am a sinner. I'm making a mess of my life. I repent. I surrender. I fall before you, Lord, my sins have undone me. My sins have been consuming me. And so, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins in my place. And would you please forgive me for my sins? Wipe them out. And thank you, Jesus, that you rose again from the third day, showing your victory over my own depravity, over the devil, and over death itself. And then, Lord, as you save me, as you make me born again, use me for your purposes for the rest of my life, that I might be one who, because I'm at peace with you, that I make peace with others and give the gospel of peace to those around me. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.